Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Grit and Grace Leadership Talks with myself, Kate Taylor, the founder of Taylor Care Group. And I'm excited today because I have a lady on, that's going to be coming on board to interview that is someone that works closely alongside my business. Um, she has run her own training and coaching business in the social services sector for a number of years. And she has been someone that I've depended on in uh, my networks um, in terms of career coaching for candidates, as well as running leadership workshops with me um, for my key clients. So I'd love to introduce you to Helen Gray. Hello, Hi, Helen. Helen. How are you? Nice to be here. Thank you for coming on board to my new series. It's great Exciting. to have you. <laughs> um, I know that uh, we've done a lot of work together, but I feel like there's still people that don't know all the things you do. That's amazing in the sector and the community and all the things we do together. So um, I would love it. Um, I'm going to ask you some series of questions today. Um, but to start off with, um, I know you're big passionate about, um, you know, preventing burnout in the community services. And that's kind of what's led you to the business you run now. Um, and obviously, you're very big on mental health and well-being. So I would love to know, um, how do you start your day up for success? Well, I think that this is something that I have you know, tried and trialed and errored over time. Um, yes. But one of the big things that I do now, which is a non-negotiable for me, is a, a daily intention okay. and a daily question. So I have an intention that I write each day and a question that asks myself that, you know, how many more ways can I continue to reach this goal? And what I've found is that this is just a great way of, you know, setting my mind up my unconscious yeah. to working towards the things that I'm striving for. And one of yes. the great things about this is that, you know, I've been now been doing this consistently for over three years. And wow. it's really proven to me that I can do things, small things consistently, and, okay. and that they do have an impact. So, yeah, so a daily intention, it's something yeah. that I do with my clients, the process of setting up those intentions. But for me, it's, it's a, you know, a tool that I actually genuinely practice every day. And it's a great, it's a great way to, to you know, kickstart my day, but also to get me in the right mind frame for you know, going out there and trying to achieve my goals. So what's the question that you ask yourself each morning? So it's a semi-structured question. And okay. the intention is written in the assumption that you have already achieved the goals that you're aiming for. So okay, it varies, yeah. it's varied over these last three years as I've moved towards different goals. The intention has varied slightly. But yeah. the question is about asking yourself, how many ways can I continue to get even more of this goal that I am aspiring to? And it's, okay. you know, we know this old adage that things are created twice, once in the mind and then in reality. And the yeah. questions that we pose ourselves are so vitally important. So this idea of setting yourself up in the morning with a question, yes. which is presupposing your success and actually asking your mind to get creative get playful mm. to open up the ideas of well how many more ways what else it's about expansion and opening up the possibilities yeah. so it's a great way of of kickstarting your day or you know getting yourself set up and do you write it down or do you just I think do. about it 
No, ah. I write it down. So I actually, often I say it in my head as well, but I always write it down. Okay. And the accountability that we've built in with, I have a little peer group of three of us, and we yep. have been doing this and being our accountability buddies for over three years now. Oh, we wow. just post an image. So we take a picture on our phone, post it into a little group every day of our intention card. So oh, I love it's, that. That's it's a really, really solid practice, but it's also, you know, it's a way of, demonstrating to yourself that you can do the small things consistently. And have you seen things come to fruition that you've wrote down as your intention through doing that over over a three-year period? Has it been quite eye-opening what you've achieved and done? Yep, and it depends on you can choose whatever focus you you want to have for the intention. Mine in many ways has been around my own business and my own personal growth and development. Um, But absolutely, that's why... Were, I've been lucky enough to be able to change some of my intentions because, you know, I've really stepped into them to say, well, this needs to evolve now to the next stage of, of my growth and my development. So, yeah, yeah that's amazing. I love that. And um, I'd love to know, well, the listeners will probably love to know <laughs> around your experience, yeah. your career path. Like, how did you get to where you are now um, and doing the work that you're doing as a coach, as a trainer? Um, give us a bit of a rundown of what you did in your career. Sure. Look, coaching was never what I expected that I would be doing in my career. But I have to say, I am very grateful for where I've ended up. But I'm a social worker by background. Okay. For those of you who don't know me, I qualified back in, I like to say the last century, like 1999 to 2000 was when I studied my social work degree. So the last century, just to make some of us feel young and some of us feel old. And yeah. over in Belfast in Northern Ireland, and I started out my career doing um, statutory child protection social work and then as I've evolved I've moved into I primarily stayed around the areas of family child child at risk you know youth homelessness child protection family support in the social work sector and I moved from the UK or from Northern Ireland over to Australia I actually came on a career break I just came for years of traveling and then forgot to go home (laughs) I always say so I have been here now for 20 years um, wow. and then worked in the sector over here in in those same areas, youth homelessness, child protection, family at risk. And, and it was only back in 2015 that my career took a very unexpected turn when I experienced professional burnout and precarious trauma myself. And wow. that was a pivotal point in my life both personally but also in my professional career because unfortunately I had let my progression along that journey of burnout go far too far and I I describe it as falling over that cliff of burnout falling over the edge and almost it seemed almost like you know within within a matter of days I'd gone from being a highly effective social work manager to being, you know, a sobbing wreck in a psychiatrist's office. The the manager, the leader, had become the mental health client. And so that personal experience um, led me to a number of years of recovery, of curiosity, of trying to find the answers. You know, well, what was I missing? What did I do wrong? How could I have fixed this? And in that journey also came a a great realisation of the vital importance of putting ourselves first. And so my career path has changed to one where now I focus my time, my energies and my passions on working with other practitioners, with other leaders, with other managers to 
help them to find ways to keep doing the work they love yeah. in our sector, but also in wider sectors without burning out. Because yeah. you know, my mantra is very much that, you know, the work we do, especially when we're in the welfare field, when we're in these caring professions, it should impact us. It should yeah. impact us. Yeah. But it shouldn't make us ill. No. So I now really embrace a, a mixed model. I, I supervise new and emerging social workers to start to implement mindset changes from the from the beginning about the importance of professional self-care. I yes. work with teams and I do training around burnout, precarious trauma and well-being. And then I do um, coaching one-on-one -on -one with individuals, with leaders to support them to you know, get clarity, find purpose, and, and really be able to sustain doing the work they do. So whilst it was a definitely a, a hurdle and a challenge, I, you know, I do believe that the things that we go through in life sometimes allow us to get to a point where we can be our, you know, make our biggest contribution. So. Well, yeah, you've definitely done that. And I think it's using that pain for a purpose, isn't it? You've really Absolutely. found a way to use what's, um, you know, a, a rock bottom moment in your life um, as and a career, like it would have rocked everything in your world at that time. Um, and uh, I think a lot of people would be like you where they just so busy looking after everyone else in the industry that they forget that they need to look after themselves. Like the whole thing of like, put your own oxygen mask on first before you put on the others around you. And I think um, people think because they're trained in social work cycle counselling that they don't need to do this stuff themselves. And I'm like a big believer that, you know, we all can improve, we can all grow, we can all work on ourselves and do something to better ourselves all the time and look at new routines, look at new things that are working or not working in your life. Um, and down to, like you said, the daily practices, like what is it that I need to be doing daily to look after myself and put myself first? And yeah. um yeah, I've found that recently I've been trying to do that. I'm on a new like health kick at the moment uh, and I've been doing a lot of inner work on myself, had some, you know, some deep um, therapy sessions with um, a professional and it's helped me understand a lot of things about myself and now I'm trying to implement like a better lifestyle choices and I think we can always be growing and learning and people go, oh, but you're always doing all this stuff, Kate. And it's like, no, I still need to keep doing it so I can keep showing up and be the best that I can be and I still want to evolve and grow and, challenge my thinking and learn new things and help others do the same yeah so. and I think what you say there Kate was really important this idea that for professionals for you know for practitioners for managers who work in the caring sector there's an assumption that they know what's happening one of the biggest exactly. challenges that I faced was that I, I I didn't have a language around what I was experiencing I didn't have a framework to make sense of what I was experiencing and therefore I turned it inwards and assumed it was uh, a deficit in me assumed it was my yeah. fault well, what, what should I be doing yeah and one of the important messages I think we need to be sharing is the fact that you know burnout and the impact of the, your work on your well-being is not an individual deficit no. it is a mix of that individual level, the organizational level, and the systemic level, you know, the expectations yeah. put on us. And so we need to pose the question about how do we support people to thrive better in the workplace at yes. all of those levels? Because if we yes. only focus on what the, you as an individual should and could do, we miss the fact that this is actually a workplace and organizational responsibility. And exactly. it's about like you say, the systemic, it's about the, the messages, it's about the way that society expects people to 
you know, to act in the workplace. So yeah. there's a lot of, there's a lot more complexity behind not only understanding the impact of burnout and vicarious trauma, but also starting to implement practices individually, team leadership levels yeah. and yeah. systemically to actually bring about change. Yeah. I and I definitely think that's become a lot more apparent to, in general, to workplaces since COVID. I feel like this conversation around mental health and well-being is like even in corporates now they're implementing a lot of different tools and well-being supports which were never around prior. Um, so I think it's kind of brought that to the forefront that mental health and your employee well-being is critical um, to your business success now, which is awesome. <laughs> Um, are you finding that people in the um, not-for-profit or government sector are in community services are now embracing that a bit more or you think it's still got a way to go? I think there is, like you say, a lot of movement towards acknowledging yeah. that these are issues that need to be to be addressed and looked at. Um, but it's a complex area. It's not a yes. quick fix. Um, no. And this is this is one of the challenges. I think this is one of the benefits of the the systemic levels, the you know the new psychosocial hazard legislations that are coming in yeah. about saying this has to be looked at not just as what can we add on to make you feel yeah. better. You know the fruit bowls yeah. and the yoga sessions, absolutely wonderful to have as a have within your workplace environment, but also how do we have the conversations where we start to as leaders, as organizations, we start to really understand and connect with the people who are working in our organizations to understand what it's, what these psychosocial hazards, what these pressures, what these stresses are from their perspective. And yeah. far too often, it's about a sense of, well, this is what needs to happen. And people within the organization are saying, but we need this. And so I yeah. think that one of the great things that, you know, this new legislative sort of like approach is going to ask organizations expect organizations to do is really have those consultations those open two-way conversations so that yeah. there is a genuine hearing about what the psychosocial hazards and pressures and risks in the workplace are because only when we have that open conversation only when we start to really address and understand those risks yes. can we then start to put in the the organizational, the systemic things to mitigate them. You know, otherwise, yeah. we're, you know, we're, we're at a mismatch. We're putting in this, we're putting in the yoga, but it's not, it's a workload. You know, yeah. we're putting in the healthy eating, but it's the expectation that you work through your lunch break. These, when there's a mismatch, that's what can continue to lead to it. So I think we're, I think we're making great strides. Yeah. I think a lot of organizations that are starting to really open up and embrace these conversations, but I think that it's a, it's a, it's an ongoing you know, aspect. For me, it's yeah. a it's a core part of professional practice and a core yeah. part of organizational responsibility. So yeah. yeah, wow. I know it's it's an ongoing thing. And I think uh it's great that companies like can contact you on your website or get in touch through our website. We've got Helen Gray as one of our team um as a someone that we can outsource to with different coaching needs. So um whether you're an executive right through to a new grad Helen can help you so I've had so many ca um, candidates and clients work with you and have a session prior to you know interviews or dealing with a challenge or not knowing what their next career move is and um, actually having those sessions has given them that clarity they need to to know where to go next and and what and then come to me and say Kate can you help me find a job in this area <laughs> um, so it works quite well 
Yeah, but again, Kate, again, you're, you're, you're picking up there on something that's really important because in the, in the workplace well-being frame, we have to be working in a preventative model, not a yeah. reactive model. So we yeah. don't want to be waiting until, you know, all the signs and symptoms, you know, the red flags are all raising around burnout and well-being before people get access yeah. to services and support. So actually, you know, practices like coaching can be a really good preventative tool to help people get clarity, to help people understand, you know, where they're at, the reality that they're in, but then also yeah. start to make, you know, informed, intentional decisions about the actions that they want to take. Yeah, Unfortunately, in my work experience, I left it too late. And that meant yeah. that I did, you know, lose my practicing career for a long time. And, you know, my wish is that we don't lose skilled and experienced practitioners to our sector because of, you know, people not getting or not giving themselves permission to get the support they need early enough on in that journey. Yeah. Yeah, because I know, like, um, you get internal supervision from your managers in social work, but I feel like, you know, there should be something where you have an external supervisor like psychs do, like counsellors do, you know, social workers need the same. And I think that should be, you know, a standard in the industry, not something mm -hmm. that's just, um, you know, for certain fields because you guys are experiencing as social workers quite a lot of, like you said, that vicarious trauma um, and a lot of on the ground stuff that, you know, psychs and counsellors do get to hear as well. But often it's the social workers that are going in when a child needs to be removed from their home if they're not safe or, you know, someone that's homeless on the street going in and like working out what they need and case managing them to get the help that they need, you know. So it's like that frontline stuff that where I think is missing that supervision and support. Um, so don't be afraid to, um, you know, if you're listening to this, don't be afraid to go and be proactive in that, you know, like whether you have to pay for it yourself, whether it's approaching your employer and saying, is this something as a business we could do, um, supporting a number of sessions per year with a career coach or counsellor, um, or whether it's, uh, you know, EAP as well in workplaces, it is there for a reason, it is confidential, a lot of people don't realise that, um, your employer will not know if you use it. So um, definitely encouraging that is really important. Um, because, and encouraging you know, that early use, Kate. In, yes. You know, EAP used as a preventative tool can be really supportive. Yep. So it's about saying how do we use these, how do we build up the network, whether that is a personal network, whether that is a professional network, whether that is a therapeutic or support network, how do we build up the networks that as, you know, as women, as practitioners, as, as welfare sector people, as leaders, how do we build up that network that we need yep. to be able to have the support and bounce off so that as we go through the ebbs and flows, you know, life's not meant to be easy. It's not going to be smooth sailing, especially not yeah. when you're working in our sector. But it's about making sure that you value and know that your health and well-being is a priority and start to, you know, get access, say, individually, organizational levels to the services and supports that you need to be proactive, to be preventative. Yeah to yeah. get boost the support. So it's not just about mental health support at the point no. of crisis. It's actually about, well, how do we build our awareness? How yeah. do we build our, our self-compassion? How do we yeah. develop our understanding about using the work that we do and, and being able to find the positives and the vicarious resilience from our work rather than being exposed only to the, the vicarious trauma side of it? So there's so many, there's so many ways that you know, individually, organisationally, and as, an, as a sector, we, we still need to really put the investment in the practitioners 
yeah at a much earlier stage throughout yeah. people's careers yeah, and I, I think I sit on a lot of panels for interviews with clients um, and I get to hear different people ask different questions to the panel at interview. And one of the things I was I loved to hear was a new grad social worker actually at interview asked the panel, what what is your um, stance around mental health and well-being in the workplace and what kind of self-care and support do you have in place for someone like me if I was to come on board your business? And Fantastic. I was so impressed that she asked that. <laughs> But it's about that not being a not being seen as, as a flaw, not being seen yeah. as a taboo subject. No, it's just something that should be a given. Yeah, absolutely. The the challenges yeah. of the work that we do, it's it's the impact of that is is just an inevitable consequence of the work. So, yeah. what is built in? What are the supports? You know, yeah. and you know that that fills my heart when I hear that new grads are the ones who are having those conversations because, as I say, that's part of the work that I do with with emerging social workers is is supporting right. them to understand that this is part of their professional toolkit. Yeah. Looking after themselves is an essential skill alongside great communication skills and engagement and you know yeah. compassion and empathy. But they've got to turn it to themselves as well. Yeah. No, and I think like that should it actually quite impressed the employer too because it actually got them a little bit stumbled in a way because they had to come up with, well, we do this, this and this. And yep. it was like I, I, they hadn't had anyone really ask that directly before. So, um, yeah, I think it's really important. And I think it's that next generation of like, you know, that awareness um, and um, being an ability to speak up and ask and it be a normal conversation, not something that they should feel awkward about or uncomfortable, yeah. um, but to ask that. And, and it also challenges the employers to start thinking more about it too if they're not doing it already. Mm -hmm. um, and there's no obligation on employers to protect the psychosocial yeah. well-being of their workforce. So these yeah. are great questions, you know, they're the yeah. questions that should be being asked of organisations. Yeah, I love that. And what advice would you give to anyone like social work, site counselling or anyone in other industries that want to get into like the coaching and training space? Um, what advice would you give them on how to get started and what to do? Look, I think that coaching especially is a different discipline to you know, counselling, psychology, to social work. So one of its one of the bits of advice that I would give is to actually really dig into exploring, you know, why you want to to add coaching as part of your toolkit. And um, for me, that that journey towards coaching, as I say, was not an immediate one. It was uh, I was a little bit of a reluctant coach, but once I understood the the power of coaching as a as very much a, a self empowerment tool and. Yeah. Coaching as a as a collaboration of almost peer-to-peer -peer conversations. And yeah. it's not, I've done this, so this is how you should do it. Coaching yeah. is holding space for those curious conversations. So if people yeah. are interested in either adding, you know, yes. another string to their bow, or looking at, well, how do I, you know, build in some opportunities to step away from, you know, my pure direct practice. You know, setting it, setting yourself up, doing some really good quality education and training in your coaching, getting a you know recognised accreditation. Whilst coaching isn't a regulated industry, you know the International Coaching Federation. There's a number of bodies who are ensuring that coaching is an ethical based practice. You know, yes, process. So I just encourage people to to do some exploration. Think yeah. about what's what it is in the coaching. You know, there's lots of different ways and modalities of coaching, and then. Yeah you know, really equip themselves with some quality training before yeah. they, you know, 
go out there and and add that into their to their toolkit. But it's a great it's a great uh, resource, not just if you want to do it as a as a professional practice, but also for yourself. It's a great resource yeah. for leaders. You know, I thoroughly encourage you know emerging leaders to also do some you know coach training so that they can understand the power of informal coaching as part of their leadership you know yeah. being able to lead through a coaching model is a great way of really sharing that load amongst your team and empowering and bringing out the best in your in you know your collective team so coaching has many different ways that it can be used either as a business model but also as this you know communication resource to strengthen and support leaders in what we know is a really challenging role managing and leading other people in this sector. Yeah, and I think um, something I hear a lot of people that have gone out into like private practice or coaching like you're doing um, that have been in the field, um, something that surprises them is the amount of marketing and branding that you have to think about. Think where, you know, you trained in your field, but you don't, like same with me when I started my business, I didn't know that that was really important. Like, and how to do that well. And I think, was it anything that surprised you around that? I think that is that is absolutely one of the, the big factors. If you are looking to go into business yourself, you need to recognize yeah. that it is not all doing the work. Such yeah. a lot of going into business yourself is the behind the scenes slog. You know, the overnight success yeah. is a result of those years that we've put in behind the scenes to get there and yet being able to actually stand up there and say this is what I believe in this is how I do things I yeah. have something that I can offer something valuable yeah. that I can you know that we can do that I can contribute and being able to, to to be happy to market yourself in that way for me it was a very much a learning journey and it's and it still is um yeah. as a social worker I'm I'm not a natural marketer my, of myself but yeah. It's important because I am a, a passionate believer that we need to make available the supports for practitioners to go on that journey of self-awareness, to understand what they're experiencing, to depersonalize it and recognize that there is a shared experience here and there are ways that we can navigate this, mitigate the, the, the challenges. And so in order for me to you know, make a difference to one person, I have to put myself out there. You know, we have to be visible so that people know that it's okay. I tell my story a lot as a means of giving other people permission to go, you know what, I am a manager, but I am struggling. Yes. And sometimes, you know, it's hard to, to be willing to say I'm a leader and I'm struggling. I, I, didn't, I didn't do it in my practice. And it got me to where it got me. So, you know, again, part of my mission is to support people to go, it's okay because, you know, it's not right to not be okay. How we navigate and and keep working through it. Yeah, no, it's so important. And um, yeah, I think it's partly as well because your industry is trained to think as a collective, as a we. Um, not as a like, look at me, this is what I do. And I often have to coach uh, candidates when I interview them um, or for before they go for interviews with employers is that they have to be able to identify what they bring to the collective. Like what's your contribution? What is your, you know, superpower that you bring, um, you know, to a team setup and not just thinking as a collective because the employer wants to know what you're going to bring to their team, not what you've done in a bigger, well, not what your whole team's done. These are really important insights. And I think this is where yourself and I, 
have that capacity to contribute to our sector because we understand the sector. Um, yeah. You know, for me, I can I can work with clients. I don't have to have been through their experience. I don't have to have worked in their sector as coaching. We don't. I don't have to have done what you're striving to do. But my my personal journey, my my professional experience, gives me an insight. So, you know, we can have that conversation at a level yeah. where I get it. And yes. sometimes in our sector, where you know the conversations of what we see in the workplace are not what we take home to the dinner table. They're not what we take home to the pub. You can't talk about your day. Not to the your conversations life. that we talk about. Yeah. So being able to have somebody like myself who can hold that space yes. with a, an awareness of the context can be really valuable. And and again, for me, it's a privilege to be able to work alongside, you know, practitioners and leaders in our sector. So it's a win-win on both sides. It must be very rewarding when you can see the difference you can make um, with the work that you're doing. Yeah, uh, that's amazing. And in terms of your own well-being and mental health, obviously we talked about having that toolkit and being self-aware and and getting that support that you need. What do you have in place um, to in ensure that you don't have that burnout again, or that you you know keep on top of your well-being in mental health? You know, I think one of the biggest gifts that I've given to myself over these last years is the gift of self-compassion. Yeah. I have invested a lot of time and energy to understand what that means and then to practice it and it is a practice it's not something that comes naturally um and so with that is the capacity to to go through the ups and downs a little bit easier yeah. um, and i think also really becoming very much more attuned to my somatic experience my physiological my emotional experiences and correctly being able to attribute to them to where they fall. You know, for a long time in my work, the challenges, it was, I wasn't doing enough. I should be a better leader. I should be. So the, you know, the stresses, the pressures, the issues were attributed to a, you know, to a deficit in me. And yeah. I think the learning is sometimes we we fail. Sometimes we we fall short. And that's, yeah. you know, those are the hurdles that we've got to work our way through. But yeah. a lot of the time we need to be, the, the more we can, be attuned to understanding and accurately naming the emotions and citing where it where it's connected to the more we have control over the meaning we give to that and so that's a I think that is an ongoing process for me the, the power of knowing that you have a choice over the meaning that you attribute to the circumstances that you're in yeah you know, it's 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 where I think we can so really yeah, yeah. We can make a difference for our for our, our own well-being and our own mental health and what do you do to um build that resilience build that toolkit around that self-compassion what practices do you have in your week that you do or um daily rituals that you have that help with that so i have been in and out of different things i i go through phases of doing um journaling so i'm doing a little bit of journaling at the moment so just a little about free writing to just give myself space to to see what comes up and um, yeah the pause, I think, is a is a real gift that I've I've learned to give myself. Just allowing myself to just take a moment and tune in and reflect. Well, you know, what am I? What is going on? Rather yeah. than you know pushing it away and moving from one thing to the next. So it's using some of these what I call micro moments. You know, being able to just take a pause in the moment. You know, yeah. take a breath. Just yeah. ground myself. Just to okay, well, you know. What is this? 
Okay, so this is a moment, you know, the whole self-compassion mantra. This is a moment of self-doubt. Okay, yeah. self-doubt is a, is a universal human condition. What do I need in this moment of self-doubt to feel good about it myself? Okay, maybe I need to give myself, you know, a few minutes off. Maybe I need to go and have a walk in the sunshine. That idea yeah. of really being able to acknowledge Thank the emotion. Yes. Acknowledge that it's a human thing. You yeah. and I are not going to experience the same thing, no. but the emotions are a human condition. Yes. But then that vital thing is asking yourself, well, what do I need in this moment to be kind to myself? Yeah. You know, and that is very much embedded in the self-compassion work of Kristen Neff, which is, you know, I think was really influential in my in my recovery and my growth post-burnout. So. Okay. Wow. And that's amazing. I guess that having that grit and grace in your leadership is what's going to help people to last the distance and to have that empathy and compassion and love for themselves as well as their team um, but that grit to kind of pick yourself up and keep going as well even when it's hard and having that courage and that bravery um, to try something new or do something different if it's not working like you did with your business just showcases that um, beautifully and yeah I and really I love the title there great and um, the title of grit and grace you know but I think I think we need the grit we need the determination but we also need to give ourselves the grace. You yes. know? We need to give ourselves the grace for that we are we are doing our best, we are striving, you know, and that that's part of it. You know, we have to know that this is this is a journey. And yes. and we and we, we, we want to be kind and compassionate and and you know give ourselves grace in that process so that we yeah. can continue to to thrive and enjoy it. So yeah, I love that. And so I'm I'm a favourite person for quotes um, and affirmations. And so I'd love to know what your favourite quote is in life or leadership that really showcases that grit and grace. Well, mine is a quote that has been really important to me from the early days of my work in like grassroots youth work. And, you know, I'll probably butcher the original quote, but it's that whole idea of it's not the falling down, but it's the getting back up that counts. And I think that, you know, in those early days, it had one meaning, but now I think that it also embeds, you know, embraces that idea of we have to fall forward. We have to, especially in, in leadership, especially if we're, you know, in our self-leadership, we have to fall forward. We have to allow ourselves to take risks, take challenges, embark on new adventures. And, and often or not, you know, they, they might fall flat, things might happen. But that idea that, you know, if we learn from that, then that's how we grow. So I yeah. think as I've evolved, as I've grown, that quote has grown with me. But it's still, yeah. it is still an absolute mantra of mine. It's not the falling down. It's how and the getting back up that matters. Yeah, I love that. Oh, thank you so much. I've loved You're our so chat welcome. today. And if you would love to uh, get in touch with Helen Gray, please do. We'll put um, the contact details in the comments of this and would love to, you know, connect again soon. Helen, thank you so much for your time today. You're most welcome. Thank you so much, Kate, for all you're doing for the sector and putting these, these talks and this important message out there. So keep up with Aww. the great work. Ah, thank you. Take care. Bye. -bye. <laughs>